Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Steve Bruder is the CEO of St. Matthew's House, opening a new business. We'll find out about that and some of the great works that are being done at St. Matthew's House to help the homeless and uh, those in need of food. Also, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. It is May the 16th, and on this day in 1868, the U.S. Senate voted against impeaching President Andrew Johnson and acquitted him of making high crimes and misdemeanors. He would not be fully acquitted of the charges until 10 days later on May the 26th. In February 1868, the House of Representatives charged Johnson with 11 articles of impeachment for vague high crimes and misdemeanors for comparison. President Trump and Clinton were each charged with two articles of impeachment, and in 1974, Nixon faced three charges for his involvement in the Watergate scandal. The main issue in Johnson's trial was his staunch resistance to implementing Congress's Civil War reconstruction policies. The War Department was the federal agency responsible for carrying out the reconstruction programs in the war-ravaged southern states, and when Johnson fired the agency's head, Edward Stanton, Congress retaliated with calls for his impeachment. Of the 11 counts, several went to the core of the conflict between the Congress and uh, Johnson. The House charged Johnson with illegally removing the Secretary of War from office and for violating several Reconstruction Acts. The House also accused the president of hurling slanderous, inflammatory, and scandalous harangues against congressional members. On February 24th, the House passed 11 articles of impeachment, and the process moved into the Senate trial. The Senate uh, trial lasted until May the 26th, 1868. Johnson did not attend any of the proceedings and was not required to do so. After all the arguments had been presented for, the, for and against him, Johnson waited for his fate, which hung on the swing of one vote. By a vote of 35 to 19, Johnson was acquitted and finished out his term. President Johnson, Clinton, and Trump are the only presidents for whom the impeachment process went as far as the Senate trial. Nixon resigned before the House of Representatives could vote on his impeachment. Uh, Divisive times after the Civil War. So interesting. President Joe Biden has advised his White House aides to shift into campaign mode for the midterm elections. According to a report, now this is so interesting because it seems like he's been in campaign mode the entire time he's been in office, but there are some differences. The president privately asked his aides to start highlighting differences between his policies and those of the Republican Party, according to Axios, citing people familiar with the conversations. Biden himself has ratcheted up his political rhetoric, accusing Republicans of having a radical agenda that's out of touch with the middle class. I'm sorry, I have to laugh at this. He really said that. Biden has focused his political attacks on Senator Rick Scott, the chair of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, painting him as a leader of the radical ultra-MAGA Republicans who has seized control of the party. I'm not kidding. I think they're the most extreme party, and that's what the Republican Party is now, Biden said in a fundraiser on Wednesday night. Not everybody Republican believes that, but the fact of the matter is they are run the show, the MAGA Republicans. <laughs> this guy. On Wednesday afternoon, Biden described his predecessor, former President Donald Trump, as the great MAGA king during a speech of two union leaders, uh, to two union leaders in uh, Chicago and berated the MAGA crowd for trying to forget the coronavirus pandemic. I can, uh, I'll call it the ultra-mega plan, Make America Great Again plan. He said it's in writing. The president continued to talk about his plan to lower inflation by spending more federal money on social programs. This is all about fairness. It's about dignity. It's about his physical responsibility, he said Wednesday. So apparently they've hired a focus group and uh, some sort of group to to give them advice on how to run their campaign and what they came up with. uh, Mega, ultra mega 
MAGA, ultra MAGA uh, Republicans, going to try and paint them in an extreme corner somehow. Biden's agenda is the one that's extreme, quite frankly. In fact, Biden's uh, President Biden's approval rating remains underwater, and more than 80% of registered voters say the U.S. is on the wrong track, according to a Monmouth University poll. A Thursday poll found that Biden's approval rating is sitting at 38% with 57% disapproval. Uh, those numbers are down from March when Biden had a 39% approval rate and 54% uh, disapproval. Monmouth also uh, found that just 18% of Americans say the country is on the right track. Monmouth polls uh, 807 Americans from May 5th to 9th, reporting a margin of error of 3.5%. It conducted a live television interview with each of the respondents. Monmouth has now tracked a consistent drop in the number of Americans who are optimistic about the country's path. In January 2021, 42% of Americans said the country was headed in the right direction, and 50, only 51 said it was not. The university uh, poll also found a rise in the importance of abortion for voters. When asked to choose the single most important issue from the six policy areas included in the poll, economic policy got 26%, abortion 25%, surprisingly, uh, all are the top concerns, followed by health care, 16%, and immigration, 14%. Amazing results. There's another poll that was just released yesterday that had similar results. So, uh, again, president's popularity. I don't think all the focus groups in the world are going to couple with any kind of language that's going to support uh, his failed agenda. Amazon CEO and Washington Post owner, Jeff Bezos caused quite a stir on Twitter Friday when he publicly mocked President Joe Biden for his latest solution for inflation. The world's second richest man behind Elon Musk responded to the president's tweet saying that making uh, the wealthiest business in the world pay their fair share would solve the inflation crisis uh, currently gripping America. On Friday, Biden tweeted, you want to bring inflation down? Uh, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. That's what he tweeted. That's that's Biden. Bezos cracked uh, Biden's tweet, beginning with a uh, dig against the administration's new uh, uh, propaganda department. The newly created disinformation board should review this tweet, or maybe they should just form a new non-sequitur board instead. Raising corporate taxes to, uh, is fine to discuss. Taming inflation is critical to discuss. Mushing them together is just misinformation, he added, completely trouncing the president's idea. Many Twitter users expressed shock that Bezos, the man who owns one of the most prominent left-leaning newspapers in the world, could call out Biden on such strong terms. Some simply agreed with the statement. Others expressed frustration that the owner of the Post, a paper that has been accused of protecting Democrats, especially Biden, is only now speaking out against the Democrat Party. I don't like agreeing with you, replied Act for America founder Bridget Gabrielle. Jeff is just upset different word that he used, that the government disinformation board is taking work from the newspaper he owns. That's the post job, tweeted conservative commentator David Rayboy, uh, mocking Bezos' paper as a government propaganda outlet. National Republican Senatorial Committee Dig uh, Digital De Deputy Director Mike Hans asked, do you own a newspaper? What if, and hear me out, the Washington Post started to hold this White House accountable? Uh kind of sarcastic. But the point is, uh, even staunch Democrats are beginning to see the flaws in this. So he's going to stop inflation by raising, having corporations pay their fair share. This guy's delusional, and I'm talking about uh, Biden. The Biden administration appears unless stopped immediately is teeing up America to make it easy for the Chinese Communist Party to defeat it and other nations through biological warfare. This is such an interesting story. <clears throat> The World Health Organization, the WHO, the organization that has unhesitatingly been doing China's bidding during the COVID pandemic, is reportedly now planning to orchestrate a massive new power grab to internationally control the response to any future global pandemic. The plan is apparently to make the health of Americans dependent on the whims of China, which is both actively seeking to displace the U.S. as the world's leading superpower and has for years been working on new means of biological warfare. And it's a plan that's been voted on next week. Congress and the American public need to fight vigorously and fast. I first caught, caught one of this on uh, the War Room, uh, Steve Bannon's War Room. And, uh, and now this 
uh, column appeared in the, uh, one of the outlets. On May the 4th, a meticulous report, Biden handed o- handing over U.S. sovereignty to the WHO by Peter Bregan, M.D., and Ginger Ross Bregan, raised an alarm. On May the 2nd to 28th, the Biden administration has proposed amendments to the WHO that will empower WHO's director general to declare health emergencies or crises in any nation and to do so unilaterally and against the opposition of the target nation. In addition to all this, the Biden administration's amendment will make the U.S. legally obligated by international treaty to follow whatever the WHO decides. According to Bregans, on May the 22nd to 28th, ultimate control over America's health care system, and hence its national sovereignty will be delivered for a vote to the World Health Organization's governing legislative body, the World Health Assembly. This threat is contained in new amendments to whose international health regulations proposed by the Biden administration that are scheduled as provisional agenda item 16.2 at the upcoming conference on May the 22nd to 28th. Now, doesn't that sound scary? It, it definitely is. These amendments will empower WHO's director general uh, to declare health emergencies or crises in any nation and do so unilaterally and against the opposition of the target nation. The director general will be able to declare these health crises based merely on his personal opinion or consideration that there is a potential or possible threat to other nations. If passed, the Biden administration's proposal amendments will, by their very existence and their intention, drastically compromise the independence and the sovereignty of the United States of America. The same threat looms over all UN's 193 uh, member nations, all of whom belong to WHO and represent 99.44% of the world's population. These regulations are binding instrument of international law entered to into the force on June the 15th, 2007. UN member states can already be required by law to obey or acquiesce to them. The target nation is also required to send WHO any relevant genetic uh, sequence uh, data. The contents of the proposed amendments were not made public until April the 12th, leaving little time to protest before the scheduled vote. The amendments would give WHO the right to take important steps to collaborate with other nations and other organizations worldwide to deal with any nation's alleged health crisis, even against its stated wishes. The power to declare health emergencies is a potential tool to shame, intimidate, and dominate nations. It can be used to justify ostracism and economic or financial actions against targeted nations by other nations aligned with WHO or who wish to do harm and control of the accused nation. Now, doesn't that sound scary to you? It certainly does to me. They're weaponizing health care is what's happening here because, you know, literally uh, the head of the of who simply say, oh, we've got a crisis here. I think we're going to have a pandemic. And uh, so, therefore, we're not going to have any elections worldwide until this thing is over. For example, the sweeping new powers will be invested in the director general of who to act on his own, his Tedros is uh, the guy who's uh, the head of the uh, WHO right now. The first non-physician director general of WHO is an extremely controversial Marxist activist and politician from Ethiopia installed by the Chinese Communist Party. Doesn't that sound scary? We better do something about that. Uh, Hopefully our Congress will get on top of this. We should not be signing any treaty with the WHO or allowing WHO to take unilaterally this, uh, this control over United States sovereignty. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. 
What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Steve Bruder. He is the CEO of the St. Matthew's House. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, we've been talking about for the last 15 years or so about current global events up to the minute on Monday morning. And let's start off uh, on an update on what's happening in Ukraine. Okay, so Ukraine, there have been a number of developments, all positive for the Ukrainians. Number one, the Ukrainian troops have now reached the Russian border in the area of Kharkov. That's in the uh, northeast of the country. So the Russians had three major or four major areas of advance. They tried to take over Kiev, and of course they failed, and the, and the Ukrainians captured all the land back to the border. That's sort of, you know, straight center, so to speak, or coming a little bit from Belarus. The, they tried to, to capture Kharkov, which is very close to the Russian border, um, and they failed, but it was still being within artillery range, and the Ukrainians in the last four days in a counteroffensive have pushed the Russians all the way back to the border in that area. Uh, in the south, in the Donbass, the Russians have had a, a terrific loss. They um, attempted to forge a river, and the location was pinpointed by Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian artillery, and the Russians lost um, a full brigade, probably 70 tanks and maybe four to 500 men in that one battle. Mm. Total rout and terms of the Russians, and a very stupid strategic move on their part to attack the move, I guess, to try to cross the river when they don't have control. So overall, we're seeing the Russians losing this war. They're making very, very small progress in one little area. Uh, but other than that, um, the tide is really on the Ukrainian side, and there's more and more American and other arms that are getting into the hands of the Ukrainians and using, learning how to use them. Uh, we're seeing the results as well. Um, the American, the U.S. government has done a tremendous job of getting a, the howitzers to the Ukrainians. I think all but one of the units is already in Ukraine and supposedly is already being used on the battlefield. Mm. I've heard so, that uh, that the okay. Russians have lost about a third of their troops so far, and I'm talking about their entire military, which is uh, astounding. And, and the other, yeah, but, I mean, it's a total total defeat. It looks like. I mean, it's still always a possibility. And we always have to worry that Putin will will go to nuclear 
uh, warfare at some point. We don't know. There's no way of knowing. But generally speaking, uh, this has been a complete uh, defeat for the Russian army and uh, on all levels. So there, another report is that uh, there's a blood disease, that uh, Putin has a blood disease of some sort. I wonder how that enters into the equation. We don't really know. There are two reports relating to that. A, that he's sick and dying. B, that it's a fake uh, fake rumor that the Russians have created in order to sow, de- sow doubt in everybody. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't really have the answer to that question. Uh, maybe American intelligence does. Maybe it doesn't. We don't, we don't really know. Um, but the reality is, look, this was probably one of the biggest strategic mistakes that anybody has done. Um, and um, on the other side of it, it's been orchestrated um, terrifically by the U.S. government and NATO. Um, it's worked out extremely well without getting into a shooting war with with, you, with the Russians, managed to get all of the aid, and the full alliance has come strongly in support of the Ukrainians. And it's worked. Yeah, so the, the Ukrainians uh, are the ones giving up their, their blood, obviously. Which uh, that's the tragedy. Yeah, uh, it certainly is tragic. And it, 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 I think there's a group of eight senators, if I'm not mistaken, that visited Ukraine this weekend. Uh, any right. significance or importance to that? No, just again, it showed that these were, I think, were Republican senators. So it showed the bipartisan nature. A few weeks, a few weeks ago, there was a Democratic congressional delegation there. So it's good that both sides were there. Uh, Ron Paul single-handedly has held up the additional aid to to Ukraine, but that'll end this week. Um, but Ron Paul generally does things like that, so um, he's also been a supporter of Putin. So it's a whole other story. <laughs> well, uh, I think what he did, uh, you know, to have some accountability for the forty billion dollars that's being spent over there, that's a reasonable thing to add to the uh, to the bill. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll see. I mean, again, uh, he's been. Uh, I know there's no problem with with accountability. I'm all in favor of accountability. Um, but um, I don't know, Mark. I mean, you sent his forty billion dollars over to one of the the uh, most corrupt governments in the world, reportedly. Uh, you have. Um, to, you, yeah, okay. Well, that's a reportedly. It does not seem to be the case by all all. And then it's not being handed over to the Ukrainians, mind you. Keep keep that in mind. Yeah. Most of it's being spent to give them give them arms, and backfill the arms that we've you know the United States is transferring some arms, um, but someone has to then rebuild those same arms for the U.S. U.S. Army. And we're taking things directly out of our inventory. Absolutely. So, so and, and no one can question the fact that they're putting good they're putting the arms to good use. Right. So uh let so, let's uh, the the consequence of this of course is now we're seeing Sweden and Finland request membership to apply for membership to NATO. This is certainly not what Putin I'm sure, sure had in mind. Any thoughts? No, it's it's a it's a humongous geopolitical shift. I mean, Sweden and Finland have always attempted to remain neutral. I mean, they were, were neutral sort of in World War II although they were kind of, they were attacked by the Russians or the Soviets back then, but uh, they've been a neutral countries in both cases. And then, I don't know if you remember, the original ideas for avoiding the conflict in Ukraine was to, the finalization of Ukraine was what people talked about, to turn Ukraine into a neutral state. Mm-hmm. And obviously the result, the, the absolute opposite has happened. There's not been the finalization of, of uh, Ukraine, there's been the Westernization, um, the Western alliancation of, of, of Finland, which will be a full member of NATO and will be bringing a great deal to NATO. They have a large army, strategically well, you know, well, well located, and um, it's all for, all for good for NATO. And this, you know, this has brought NATO very much back to life. Let's put it that way. Both yeah. in terms of every country spending much more money than they were planning to spend on on defense, and the realization that the being a member of NATO really counts. So, Mark, uh, taking a look at everything we've, we've discussed right now, this has been a major setback for Putin and for Russia. How are the, do you have any idea how the Russian uh, population is responding to this? Okay, so by and large, the Russian population seems to be in a bubble um, and hasn't been totally aware, and some of them are very supportive. Mother Russia is being attacked, and you know the stories that were give, being given... Um, bios labs were there to dis- destroy Russia, all those type of things. But it's beginning to sink in, uh, particularly this last, uh, what I mentioned before, this attempted river crossing that was such a total and complete defeat. Uh, there's starting to be demonstrations, demands bring our troops home to some extent, mothers wanting their, their sons home, wives wanting to know where their, where their husbands are. The Russians have, 
have tried not to report the deaths and injuries mm-hmm. that have been taking place. I mean, they still not have given an accounting for all those who died on the uh, Russian cruiser that was sunk. Mm-hmm. You know, they claim they they all managed to survive, which we know is not not the case. So um, they've been trying to hide it, but you know, at some point, it doesn't work. You can only hide things for so long, especially when information is getting into those people who, who want to look for it. Yeah. So, uh, um, look, I strongly believe that it, that Putin's days are numbered. We don't know that for sure. Hmm. Um, there's no way of us totally understanding the inner workings of the politics of the, of the Kremlin. But let's put it this way. Historically, no Russian leader has survived a uh, military defeat. Yeah, and so, uh, so a- any thoughts or comments about the... Uh the sanctions that have been leveled, are they in, in, in any way hurting the Russian people? Well, of course they are. They're, they're hurting a great deal of, in different ways. Uh, goods and services are disappearing from the shelves. It's impossible to buy a lot of things at this point. Hmm. They can't travel anywhere in the world. The Russians enjoy travel. They, they can't travel. Their airline can't, doesn't go anywhere. Um, so all these things are having a, a, a significant impact at this point on the Russian people and on the Russian economy. Look, they're not able to produce any of the new varieties of tanks and aircraft that they theoretically were showcasing because they're all dependent on Western electronics. Yeah, uh, It's an amazing thing. I mean, one of the interesting uh, side stories is in some of the down Russian planes, uh, people found off-the-shelf GPS units taped to the to the ceiling of the plane. You're kidding. So the pilots could know where they were because the Russian equipment wasn't good enough. My goodness. Amazing report, Mark. Thank you for that. Well, let's move to some of the things that are happening in other parts of the uh, world, including uh, the election in Somali. Right, so there's an election in Somali. Um, it was a free and fair election up to a point. Uh, the question is, does the government rule the country or do the warlords rule the country, and that, of course, has been an ongoing problem going back now 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, elections are a positive positive direction. The people in the Somali did come out to vote. Uh, the previous president won the election, ousting the current president. Um, so, uh, you know, I, to be honest with you, I don't know how good or how bad it is that, uh, you know, the election results. I just celebrate the fact that there were elections and it was for, for, uh, free and fair. So, well, Mark, I didn't read the headline. All I read, I saw a couple of headlines on this. You know, one of the reports I saw with the headline said that he won with 374 votes. It kind of indicated maybe that it was a maybe a vote by a parliament or something like that, as opposed to the general election. Was it a general election for the population? I think it was. I don't think it was a parliament, but I'm, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest with you. Somalia is not something I've been following closely. Yeah. But, um, well, having an election, that's a good thing. So uh, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah. we'll just go with that. How about the election in Lebanon? Okay, so Lebanon had elections. The turnout was low, only 37%, which was bad. Now, initial, um, initial results seem to show that Hezbollah, the terrorist organization that has been involved in Lebanese politics and controlled it, has lost a good deal of support. Hmm. Now, that's initial, um, but that's that seems to be where, where it's at. Um, we'll have to see. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, uh, a very chaotic part of the world, especially after the explosion a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Well, right. Lebanon is in deep, deep, deep trouble. Lebanon used to be this um, gem of a country uh, it was a place of, you know, that, that was doing very well, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly but surely gotten into more and more chaos. The explosion in the port, uh, the port has never come back to life as a result of it. The country is barely able to produce enough electricity to keep the lights on four hours a day. Um, Lebanon is a basket case. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's still rifled between, um, between Christians, Muslims, and Druze between supporters of Iran, opponents of Iran, it's it's quite a mess. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, so do you but, think this, will this election have any impact, do you think, of getting uh, some degree of stability back in Lebanon? Depends on what the results are, again. And, and again, you know, Lebanese politics is uh, difficult to fully read. Uh, a lot of secret deals have taken place in Lebanese politics. Um, but... Uh, I'm not optimistic that they're going to get their house in order enough to 
to write the ship at this point. So interesting. So let's move uh, to uh, your part of the world. By the way, for our listeners' benefit, uh, you're right now in Tel Aviv and have been now for close to a year, right? Correct. Uh, about a year. So interesting. And uh, there's a journalist, uh, a senior journalist, quite frankly, was killed in uh, your neck of the woods recently. Usually journalists are uh, off, you know, are not off, t- off attacked. Limits. Right. So one, So this is an, uh, a sad story. This is in Janine, which is in the West Bank, which is sort of, it's, it's, it's even to define what it is, it's hard to do. It's the West Bank, those parts of the West Bank were, is nominally under Palestinian control, but under Israeli security overall cons- control, or how we want to define it. Janine itself has been, is the one area where the Palestinian Authority is not able to exert any, any influence because uh, there have been armed uh, groups uh, oppose the authority who have more or less been in control, and there was a spate of terrorist attacks inside of Israel over the last uh, month and a half, including one a week ago on Friday night, or Thursday night, excuse me, where um, a, a terrorist came with two terrorists with axes and knives and, and killed um, a whole group of people with axes. Um, and they came from Janine area. So the army was going into that area in order to find people who belonged to the same cell, the same group, and a firefight ensued. The journalist seems to have been caught in the crossfire. Uh, the Palestinians say it was the Israelis. The Israelis say we don't, can't tell whether it was the Palestinians or, or, or our forces accidentally. The bottom line is she shouldn't have been shot, and she was. Of course, as we've seen in the world, I, I don't remember the exact number, but... Um, a very significant number of journalists get killed every single year, particularly covering wars, mm-hmm. which is a tragedy in and of itself. Um, Israel is stuck in this impossible situation, as far as I define it, where uh, it's tried a number of times to reach an agreement to end its occupation of the West Bank, and each time the Palestinians have not agreed to the best possible offer. The last you know, time by President Clinton, and then more recently... Uh, when Prime Minister Ulmer was the Prime Minister, but that already is, we're talking about 15 years ago. And since then, there's been no real progress at all. And uh, the problem is, no one, the extremists on both sides um, have been ruling the day. Hmm. And it's a problem worldwide. In other words, one of the biggest problems that the world faces, and it doesn't make a difference where or what and what country, is that extremism has been uh, rising everywhere. You had mentioned you mentioned about the uh, the loss of power of the extremists in Lebanon. Is this a splash at all on your area of the world in in Tel Aviv or in, on the West Bank? Or it depends. First of all, we, again, we don't you know. First of all, the initial results of 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 the election results. We don't know what the actual results will be. Uh-huh. Um, if Hezbollah loses power in Lebanon, that's a positive thing, because they have a hundred thousand missiles in Lebanon aimed at Israel. Hmm. So. And they're a proxy of Iran, so all of that is, you know, the less power they have, the better. But what will actually translate, and will, they, will Hezbollah that rules at the end of a rifle give up any of its power? Who knows? Yeah. Unlikely. Um, I should say on a side, side note, the Iran JCOPA talk, talk to return to the agreement seemed to be deadlocked at this point, and no progress seems to be being made. So it's not quite clear where that's going either, just to complicate things. Yeah, I mean, and uh, there were, at the end of the uh, Trump administration, we had the Abraham Accords, and it looked like we were heading towards more peace, more trade, and uh, more interaction among the countries in that area. How's that going now? So those agreements have managed to maintain themselves. There's a great deal of um, trade at this point and relations, particularly between Israel and Dubai, I think there's something like 24 weekly flights between the two places, and tourism um, is strong, and trade is strong, and all those things are working very well. A lot of this is sort of like an anti-Iranian coalition that's been created. Um, so all of those are good things, and they're positive things. And generally speaking, look, if you look at, with the exception of Iran, um, Israel has made peace with its distant neighbors, more or less. Mm-hmm. The problem is its close neighbors, which means being the Palestinians. And that seems to be a um, a problem that doesn't seem to be solvable. And, you know, the I hear sometimes all the statements by various BDS 
boycott um, divestiture and um, groups in the United States who say boycott Israel, just like South Africa. And my return to them, my, my response to them is, well, what's your solution? Mm-hmm. And what is your solution that will give Palestinians independence and ensure Israel security? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, no one's come up with that solution, I'm afraid. Yep. Do Palestinians really want statehood? I don't think they do, do they? They do. They absolutely want statehood. There's no question that um, that the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza would like to have their own state. No ifs, ands, or buts. They have a semi-state at this point. They have mm-hmm. domestic control. They are not interested in Israel ruling over them. But they have been unwilling to make the compromises necessary. And the compromises necessary really come down to saying... Whatever agreement is reached, it's the end of conflict. There are no further demands. And also ensuring that that uh, the only refugees that would return would be uh, some symbolic number or the ones who actually left, because uh, Palestinian refugees are counted by the United Nations to the fifth generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't stop at the fifth generation. Anyone who descends from a descendant is considered a refugee. You're talking about millions at this point. And obviously, that's not an option for um, peace. Uh, such an interesting so, area of the world. So it, it really has become this non-solvable problem um, that no one knows how to solve, to be quite honest with you. Right. you know, the, 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 those with the greatest, best intentions have still not come up with a viable plan, That, not to mention the fact that the extremists on both sides are not willing to accept it in any case, which All is right. the worst, worst problem. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I strongly encourage you to visit this very robust multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with uh, Steve Bruder. Steve is the CEO of a terrific organization, St. Matthew's House. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. Right now we have with us Steve Bruder. He is the CEO of a terrific organization here on the Paradise Coast. It's St. Matthew's House. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. Good morning. My pleasure, Steve. Tell us about uh, St. Matthew's House. Well, Bob, we're a 34-year-old 
mission here in uh, Naples, Collier County, we've been serving people experiencing hunger, homelessness, and addiction for those 34 years. So we have the only two homeless shelters in Collier County, and we operate a men's and women's 12-month recovery program. And then we, our food assistance program that many may now know about has just exploded since the pandemic. Mm. We've served over 365,000 households with groceries. So it's a, it's a very large mission. We're serving a lot of people and the need continues. I would imagine, are you seeing a greater incidence of homelessness and uh, being on the margin of not having food in, in our community? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a, a uptick in the homelessness, and it's especially disturbing that the, the people we're seeing are experiencing homelessness for the first time. Mm. So about 25% of the people that, were, that are on our wait list are, seeing home, are experiencing homelessness for the first time. So I think this is just a symptom of the rising inflation, the rents that are rising so uh, dramatically, and food and fuel costs. Yeah, and the um, the other disturbing statistic is our uh, the people in our shelter that are over fifty five. We have about twenty nine percent of the people currently in our Naples shelter over over the age of fifty five. So a couple of disturbing trends in the changing demographics of homelessness, but we do see a trend going up. And certainly with the food assistance, we also see our numbers going up there. And again, I think that's just because of the the inflationary pressures that many lower income families are feeling. Absolutely. And, you know, I talk to younger people who uh, are able to make adjustments. Uh, you know, they perhaps get a new roommate or they somehow they start to adjust in order in order to adjust to the circumstance. It's a little bit more difficult for somebody over age 55 to to make those changes. Um, I, what most impresses me about St. Matthew's House is uh, kind of a faith-based mission, but also the fact that taking no government grants or money and uh, running businesses and helping people get on their feet, there's a degree of accountability, meaning that uh, the people that go to St. Matthew's House, they just can't stay. They have to be, you know, they have to be in a program of recovery, getting back on their feet. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah, every everybody that we serve we want to restore them so we talk about transformative rehabilitation that's in our shelters or in our recovery programs in our shelters we want to help people get back on their feet get back to employment find housing and then our faith-based recovery program as you mentioned it's uh, it's really an intensive case management that we work we work with men and women to restore their lives and working and job training is such a big part of our program. So our social enterprises really are a vital part of the mission where we provide that workforce development for job training and job placement for the people we serve. Yeah, we have just... thrift stores. We have our Port LaBelle Inn. We have our Delicious by Design Catering Company and our Car Wash that all provide jobs for the people we serve. And by the way, serving just some great food. I've met chefs that have started at St. Matthew's House. It's been really remarkable. And now you're opening a new Golden Gate bargain store. That's right. That, we're really excited about this. This is our seventh store, and we've been looking for a location in Golden Gate City for a while. So this one is located at 4945 Golden Gate Parkway. It's in the Parkway Plaza. It's just east of St. Elizabeth Seton, and we just think it's a great location. We're having our grand opening on Friday, May 27th, and Saturday, May 28th. So it's going to be exciting. We're going to have uh, giveaways for the first 25 shoppers on both days, and um, just a lot of special events. We're, we're featuring ice cream, Bob, in our, in our newest thrift store, and that's something we're going to roll out to some other stores. But... It's uh, it's a store that's going to have deep discounts, a lot of inventory, and just we're really happy to be in that neighborhood. Outstanding. It's a, it's a great opportunity. And uh, so uh, I just encourage our listeners, uh, there's a number of businesses, uh, you mentioned several of them, that uh, St. Matthew's House not only helps raise money to, in order to serve the homeless, uh, those that are addicted or those that have uh, need support, uh, in a food crisis of some sort. So these businesses actually provide training, job training, as well as raise money for St. Matthew's House. Steve, how can we support your organization? 
Well, I encourage everybody to go to our website. <clears throat> that's stmatthewshouse.org. It's stmatthewshouse.org. And just check it out. There's a lot of opportunities there. You'll see um, all the information about all of our social enterprises. There's volunteer opportunities and donating opportunities. And as you mentioned, the social enterprises are so important, not only for the job training, but because 100% of your donations can go to your programs because our programs, because our social enterprises cover all of our administrative expenses. So that's a really unique model that we're very proud of. And uh, people can feel really good about shopping with a purpose in our thrift stores or, or at Lulu's Cafe or enjoying our delicious by design catering company or a car wash. Yeah, I've been to events catered by uh, by by your catering company. <laughs> they just do an outstanding job. So my personal experience with St. Matthew's House is really terrific. And I'll say just in juxtaposition to some of the other things we see, uh, it's not a government program. It's not creating government dependency. It's actually getting people on their feet again and helping them restoring their personal dignity. And nothing does that better than having a good job, getting uh, clean and sober. All these things really contribute to to elevating uh, each of the people that you work with. That's right. We always like to say we, we don't give a handout, but we give a hand up. And that's, that's so important to... Uh, just, just help people gain their confidence and get back to uh, a productive life. stmatthewshouse.org is the website. stmatthewshouse.org. Check it out. Do make a contribution. If you got some lightly used uh, things that you're not using anymore, that you can contribute them. They, they can be sold and, again, part of the enterprise as well. stmatthewshouse.org. Steve, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks so much. You have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Steve. All right, uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Uh, Jim is the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Well, he retired. Started writing some books, and they are some really great murder mysteries. His first was Follow the Leader. His second is Shake the Money Tree. And uh, now his latest book is No Problem. Really some great reads, great characterization, all located in Washington, D.C., where I grew up. So it's, it's great to... Uh, You'll be reminded of all the wonderful things that are happening in D.C. through these wonderful murder mysteries. Anyhow, so again, uh, Jim McTagg will be joining us. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, and among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and now author. He's writing written three books, uh, Murder Mysteries. They are terrific. His first, Follow the Leader. It's a sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and sequel again, uh, uh, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. You have anything else in the uh, in the hopper? Any any new publications coming out? Well, I started a, a new novel about artificial intelligence, and I'm giving myself uh, a couple years to uh, finish it, ah. and, and then I'm going to uh, write another murder mystery. Ah. So um, I like to keep busy. Uh, I. I'm compelled to write whether people read them or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're great. I just encourage our listeners to get a copy. You don't have to read them in order either. They just uh, stand on their own, so they're great books. So, Jim, uh, a lot going on in the United States uh, and the world. I saw that uh, uh, Jeff uh, Bezos turned on uh, President Trump, started to criticize his uh, mushing together different issues, but he's not alone, right? I mean, the, the starting we're starting to see... Uh, some criticisms from the left of President uh, uh, Biden. Yeah, you mean yeah, Biden is unpopular not only among the general public, uh, he's unpopular among the liberal elites. So uh, I, I like to say that I, I read the liberal newspapers so you don't have to. Thank you. And, and get <laughs> aggravated every day. But I would encourage everybody today to go to the editorial page of the New York Times and print out the editorial they have today criticizing Biden's uh, plan to forgive college loans. Uh, and they think it's ridiculous, costly. They say that his, uh, his moratorium on debt repayments has already cost the American taxpayer one hundred billion dollars. Wow! So, uh, I mean, this is a sheet that you can print out to help you with decision making going forward, uh, and it's anti-Biden to the core. It's, it's just so unusual to see something like this in the New York Times, which you know is pretty much a, a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. Uh, um, and then in the Washington Post yesterday, they had a big investigative piece about $163 billion ripped off by criminals from the uh, COVID uh, spending since March of 2020. So the, so the lion's share of the ripoff is under uh, Joe Biden. That's another story worth printing out to remind you when you go to the polls in November uh, who you want to vote for. Yeah, it's because just... Both, you know, government... The federal government in Washington is probably the most efficient money-wasting machine ever devised. <laughs> uh, we have we have serious problems with money leakage in Washington, and, and uh, we really need uh, a uh, a whole generation of reformists to uh, go in and just. Uh, clean up federal government. Well, I mean, and, and here's the thing. I mean, we're talking about such a, a magnitude of waste. Here we're already 100% of GDP in terms of our debt, $30 trillion. Uh, there's no way we can save ourselves out of that or, or and pay that off. That's just not going to happen. Seems to me the only solution is some form of inflation so that over the course of, say, 10 years, so that uh, that number of 100% of GDP goes down to something like 80 or 70% of GDP. Yeah, and, and who wants uh, inflation? Right. Because, uh, you know, as you know, it's a backdoor form of uh, taxation, eroding our buying power. Which brings me to another headline, which is in all the papers, cryptocurrency. A trillion dollars in, in value in the cryptocurrency uh, market vanished. Now, cryptocurrency, you know, befuddles a lot of people, including me, but but I see this as a canary in the coal mine. Hmm. It shows me how frightened the investment public is generally. It explains, I think, the volatility 
in the stock market. Uh, your average investor has no faith in the Fed. Your average investor has no faith in the administration. And there's a lot wrong in the world, you know, starting in the Ukraine. But, uh, you know, COVID is – there's a resurgence of COVID. The supply chain, although it seems better, is still broken, as we see with the baby formula fiasco. Hmm. So investors are on edge like I've never seen them on edge before, which is why I've been predicting that um, at some point during this year we're going to see the S&P 500 index – uh, go below 2,900. Hmm. Um, so, so here's a, uh, I see a meld up in the market pre-election. I think voters will assume that Republicans are going to uh, win massively in the midterm elections. The Republicans will have a supermajority in the Congress, uh, and voters will assume that that will be good for uh, big business. So there will be a moment of euphoria. I think realism will set in after the election because you still have a Democratic president. And there are limits. I mean, the, the Congress in general is broken. Both parties are broken, and it's hard for them to accomplish anything. So I think that reality will set in, and that's when we'll see a, a post-election plunge. And uh, that, I think, will be the bottom of the market. At least I hope it will be. Yeah, that's so, so interesting. Uh, I've heard that same prediction from others, uh, Jim. So uh, you're not alone in your thoughts about that. Uh, some people aren't even predicting a, a markup or a run-up uh, before the election. That usually happens. Uh, historically, we usually do see in election year midterms and presidential election years as well that uh, there's a run-up in the market. So uh, expressing hope. I will add this, though. The phenomenon of what uh, President Biden is calling ultra MAGA is—he's <laughs> calling them violent or extremists and so forth. But uh, you know th that phenomenon is—it's no longer business Republicans and big business. This is a movement, I think, of the people for the middle class of people who want to to make America great again, who want to get thing get back on the right track. They're not rhinos. They're not Democrats, but there's a lot of people who are disaffecting or, or leaving the Republican and the Democrat Party in order to get on board with MAGA. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm in Pennsylvania where we have a primary tomorrow, and it's on the Senate side, it's primarily a MAGA primary. Yeah. We have Dr. Oz running as uh, his television ads, or uh, if he's elected, he'll fire Fauci which is ridiculous because he can't fire. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, we have David McCormick from Connecticut. Oh, Oz, by the way, is from New Jersey. David McCormick, who a former Pennsylvania who was with Bridgewater Associates in Connecticut. You know, and Bridge, Bridgewater is an investment firm. Right. He, he's running on, on the ticket that uh, he and his family shoot guns. So, so great. You know, who cares? <laughs> and then... Out of left field is a, a black woman, a uh, Pennsylvania politician, Kathy Barnett, um, and she, and Eisen McCormick. If he spent ten million dollars of their own money on the campaign, Kathy Barnett has spent next to nothing. And there's a three-way statistical tie because Barnett is uh, has a MAGA message. And she's so elegant in the presentation. I mean, she's talking about how she will help Pennsylvanians while the other two candidates are, you know, making the ridiculous claims about firing Fauci and firing off their uh, uh, rifles. So, you know, Pennsylvania is a place to watch, but it's, it's all MAGA all the time. To your point, uh, this is not a rhino or a Republican versus a MAGA. It's uh, three MAGAs uh, running neck and neck. And it tells you a lot about the electorate in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and well said. In fact, although there are some reports that she's somewhat of a fraud and uh, has made previous comments that are anything but MAGA. But we'll see how this all turns out. Because, again, the election's tomorrow, is it not? It is. And, and you know, they're all frauds. <laughs> so, <laughs> well so, said. I mean, they all make, you know, uh, but the election is tomorrow. And I would pay close attention. You know, in Pennsylvania, it's not an open primary. So I had to register as a Republican. I've never repo registered as to any party in my whole life. 
before this election yeah. because I wanted to vote in a Republican primary. So if the Republican numbers swell during this election, uh, that will tell you that in Pennsylvania anyway, which is a key state, the Republicans have captured the whole state into the foreseeable future. Yeah, Jim, I just genuinely appreciate your comment here here on the show. Again, Jim McTagg, author and former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I hope you join us tomorrow. We've got some great guests lined up for you. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>